Curtis Lewa. Curtis Lewa. Rip and Reed. Check this out. This is the Rip and Reed featuring Curtis Lewa. Talking about now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC and Curtis Lewa. This is the Rip and Reed. Wow, rage against the machine. Could you get any more left wing, any deeper into the dark side of the left wing of politics in America than rage against the machine, which I like their songs. I like their songs. Their lead singer, Tom Morello, right? He's the white boy uh, who's got the dreads, who is an affirmed communist. I don't want so. Oh, it's not wrong. So... Justin gives me the wrong information. It's, it's typical. Go ahead. Zach Delarocca. Delaroche Delarocca. Whatever. And Justin, you are a producer of no consequence as far as I am concerned, okay? But anyway, hardcore communist. He left. He came back right before the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020. Got to tell you, they were... They were actually advertising that if you wanted to go to a Rage Against Machine concert, you had to pay $1,000 up front. Hey, great communists, right? <laughs> Workers of the world unite, yeah, against Rage Against the Machine. Now, after the pandemic, three years later, tickets are going for $333.99. Whoa, what a break. What a break. Rage Against the Machine, Springsteen, all of them out there. They say they're friends of the working class guys and gals out there. But not when it comes to you forking over the do-re-mi for concerts. Or as Schmata boy, Stevie Van Zandt, said to his very dear friend, Sid Rosenberg, on the morning with Sid Rosenberg and his friends, Hey, this is capitalism. Sorry, guys. Well, excuse me. I guess we shouldn't pay attention to any of your politics. But there's a reason that we're playing this song, Pocket Full of Shells, because of what was another slaughter taking place in schools in America. Goes back to, uh, I remember, April 20th in 1999. All of you were shocked when uh, two kukulamungas, right, who had been working in their garage in the outskirts of Denver, Colorado, in Columbine. What were they doing? They were putting together a series of weapons, homemade weapons, and other devices in which they were attempting to invade Columbine High School, where they had gone years before. Eric David Harris, never trust anybody with three names, right? I always tell you that. And Dylan Bennett Klebold, remember? I said back then in 1999, it was on the air, never trust anybody with three names. And this was an obvious indication as these two enemies of society bum-rushed into Columbine High School and just started shooting, shooting dramatically, killing. We saw the children running out. We saw the teachers running out. 
we saw law enforcement a dollar short a day late, and we said that would never happen again. That would never happen again. The nation was mobilized to protect schools the way we protect airports. Not hasn't happened. And this is in red states. This is in blue states. It doesn't matter what state you're in, whether it's a Second Amendment state or it's a gun control state. We have failed to protect our children in the schools, never mind outside of the schools also. But right now we're talking about how do people get into schools who are intent on committing mass murder, chaos, and don't care what the consequences are, which is usually the fact that they end up killing themselves or they get shot and killed in a just a fusillade of bullets that are coming from uh, law enforcement who are responding. So it brings us to the shooting that took place yesterday in Nashville, Tennessee, where we had three nine-year-old children slaughtered, six adults slaughtered. And then at first, I remember, because it occurred about 10 o'clock, I was preparing for the show, and right away I said, oh, it's probably some white guy, some crazy white guy, you know, who has never uh, been accepted by any girls. That That's typical, you know, the guy who cannot socialize with girls or is questioning their own sexuality, so they got this rage inside of them, so they, they get an assault weapon or a facsimile of assault weapon, they load up with clips, and they go on a shooting spree. That's usually the M.O., not always, but usually. And then all of a sudden in the afternoon, I remember talking to my wife, Nancy, who is definitely Miss Second Amendment. I mean, she's Annie Oakley, totally opposite me. In fact, loves to go to visit her mom in Pennsylvania because that's where she has her stash. That's right, Justin. It's okay in Pennsylvania to go out there and shoot stuff. She doesn't shoot humans. She shoots cans and other inanimate objects. She loves to whip around that AK-47 and just fire. You know, it's like for her, it's a relief from having to be with me, right? I mean, you imagine what it's like being married to me 24-7-365. You'd probably want to take a gun sometimes to me and blast me to the hereafter. So she goes to visit her mom's and leave it to Beaverland, father knows best, little house in the prairie in the middle of Pennsylvania, goes to get a stash of AK-47s. Uh, goes for target uh, practice, target shooting, and I guess it relieves the stress, and then she comes back to the city, and then the stress starts building up all over again the moment she sees me. And a lot of Americans are like that. And we're never going to take away everybody's guns. There, There are as many guns as there are people, and they don't, they're not biodegradable. It's sort of like a plastic bag. You bury it in a landfill. It'll take 100 years for it to start to disintegrate or break down. I mean, there are guns from the Civil War days that still are operational. In fact, uh, I told you a story before when I was in New Orleans in the 80s, and I was walking around uh, Canal and Bourbon with Eddie Brown, toughest white guy in town. Now he's the treasurer of the United Firefighters Association, but one of the original guardian angels. And a guy tried to shoot me with a Civil War revolver that was usable. I would have been, if not comatose, I would have been a vegetable. He he had a headshot on me, and Eddie Brown took him down with an axe kick and a reverse kick, and he was sucking concrete. And then I told you that night, as we continued to recruit through the streets of Canal and Bourbon down to Jackson Square, we saw the guy roaming around, mumbling and stumbling, with a hospital tag on him. 
And we realized that he had gone in for a psych observation and he got released. Psych happens here all the time. But I digress. So in the afternoon, my wife, Annie Oakley, says to me, oh, by the way, the shooter in Nashville was a woman, a girl. I said, you're kidding. That's really unusual. And then all of a sudden, by the time we were sitting at the Neptune Diner at night, because we're going out there battling the socialists who are already railing against guns, railing against white people with guns in America, you know, fascist, white supremacists, then all of a sudden... It turned out it was a transgender. Holy. A transgender. And I said to Nancy, is it a female transitioning to a male? Is it a male transitioning to a female? And right away, all the critics, uh, who are the socialists, the followers of AOC, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they remain quiet. Because transgenderism is sort of in the lead of what they're talking about for America, and they're focused on that as if it's a priority. I don't care if it's a man, woman, transgender, non-binary. It's still a killer. It's still a killer who went in there and killed innocent children and innocent adults and then ended up getting shot and killed, like Columbine, remember? It turned out it was on the birthday of Adolf Hitler, which is coming up el rapido in less than a month. April 20th, it was 1999. That was the reason they did it then. And they tried to blame it on Marilyn Manson and gothic dress and songs. and It took on a life of its own. I'm telling you this. Bottom line is, we need to make the schools as safe as we make the airports and federal facilities where we conduct judicial hearings and government process. When are we going to learn that our children are our most precious resource and no state, no state anywhere in America can step front and center and say, we protect our children, we protect our teachers, we protect our most vulnerable. And we could go on and on and talk all about it. Meantime, it sort of brings me back to the assassination of JFK that many of us as baby boomers uh, rocked our world, reminded us of the violence in America and the violence that can be committed by those who are enemies of society who have a mission. And in that case, it was to kill the president of the United States. Years later, it was 2016, and it was the heated primary between uh, then-citizen Donald Trump and Senator Ted Cruz. It was the battleground state. Whoever won there would probably go on to win the nomination and receive the accolades uh, of the Republican National Convention that that year, 2016, was taking place in Cleveland. And remember what uh, candidate Donald Trump told Fox and Friends in the morning, our own Brian Kilmeade, about what he was accusing Ted Cruz's father of doing. His father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald's being... Uh, you know, shot. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. What, what, what is this right prior to his being shot? And nobody even brings it up. I mean, they don't even talk about that. That was reported, uh, and nobody talks about it. But I think it's horrible. Right. There was a picture out there that reportedly shows um, uh, Raphael Cruz standing with Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, what, I was, he doing with, what um, was he doing with Lee Harvey Oswald right. shortly before the death, uh, before the shooting? It's, it's horrible. And he blamed it on the National Enquirer. And guess what? 
He comes around full circle earlier today. The grand jury hearing about Donald Trump, Alvin Bragg presiding in Manhattan court, cross-examined the former publisher of the National Enquirer when that uh, story was published, Peckerhead, David Peckerhead. He gave testimony. I would have loved to have asked if they let grand jurors ask questions, which here they don't, but other places they do. Hey, Peckerhead, is it true that Ted Cruz's father worked with Lee Harvey Oswald to assassinate JFK? We know that's bogus, that's nonsense. And the difference is that Ted Cruz eventually forgave Donald Trump, shook his hand, and became one of his biggest supporters. I can never do that. That would be the equivalent, Justin Ellick and Luke. Could you imagine Andrew Evilize Cuomo, who appeared on WABC Friday night, 8 to 9. By the way, the ratings were through the roof. Ratings were through the roof. Could you imagine if Andrew Evilize Cuomo Lou came up to me and said, you know, I don't hold it against you that you give the Mario and Andrew shout-out, which I will do again. Mario, ascendeme tu siu provienos facim. And like your son Andrew, you are. You imagine if all of a sudden uh, Andrew Evilize Cuomo would say, hey, let bygones be bygones. Uh, you know, I forgive you, Curtis. You're, you're, you're a good guy. If he did that, what little respect I have for Cuomo would disintegrate. And that's why I conflated both those stories, because the publisher of the National Enquirer was before the Trump grand jury, and he should have been asked that question. Wasn't that a bullfeathered story about Ted Cruz's father? And Ted Cruz, you should take a crucifix and impale yourself for forgiving Donald Trump over that. This is the Riffin' Reed. Oh, I hope, I hope, Justin Ellick, this is the clean version. Because you better not be sabotaging me. Fetty Wap, Fetty Wap, Fetty Wap. Is it the clean version, Justin? The clean, because, you know, he doesn't do anything clean, right? Here it goes, here it goes. Up the hill, down the hill, fourth floor, first floor, shake your booty, shake that cash, drink that down away, smoke those blunts. That's a man most synonymous with Patterson, New Jersey, since Costello. Of Abbott and Costello, they named the park after Costello. They have a statue of him right down near the Mini-Me bus station where occasionally a greyhound pounding the hound will come in, and it's all dirty, and it's got flotsam and jetsam, and I remember cleaning up that park and saying, my God, the hell, can't you keep Costello's park clean? And they say, you know... He almost went away to prison for tax evasion. I said, <laughs> even then, huh? Even then. Well, Fetty Wap, he's doing a big five years in prison. 
after a cop in a plea to conspiracy to a drug charge that carries a mandatory five years. He was, he was bringing in massive amount of drugs from the West Coast to Long Island, not even to Patterson, New Jersey. There are so many drug dealers in Patterson. There's so much 24-7 activity in Patterson, day and night, shooting galleries. People, you talk about fentanyl, you talk about trank, you talk about heroin, you talk about cocaine. It's all there. People driving in and out off of I-80 from the surrounding suburbs of Passaic, as far away as Essex County, and even the Jersey Shore to score their drugs in Patterson. And the cops have been a dollar short and a day late. Why? Because they don't have enough cops. And quite frankly, a lot of people don't have the backs of the cops, especially like in every other major city or smaller city like Patterson. After the killing of George Floyd in the streets of South Minneapolis in the summer of 2020, all hell broke loose. And cops were in retreat there like they were in everywhere because the elected officials did not have their back. So what happened today? There was an announcement that the attorney general of the state of New Jersey, a man of absolutely no consequence, you couldn't identify him in a photo lineup. They decided to move in and take over the Patterson Police Department, and he claims the Attorney General's office is going to run it. <laughs> How has that worked before, huh? I remember when Governor Christie Todd Whitless resisted federal oversight of the state police during his second term. She was exactly right. And what about even Cory Booker? By the way, does Cory Booker have another boo? When he had his police commissioner, McCarthy, fresh from the NYPD, number four in charge, even with his strong civil rights credentials, he opposed a federal intervention when he was mayor of Newark, and then he flipped on the cops there. He did what Eric Adams calls a pivoting shift. He did a flip-flop, and he stabbed his cops in the back. Cory Booker, right? We could go on and on. This is the history of the attorney general's office in uh, New Jersey. Time and time again, they claim that they represent law enforcement. They don't. They represent criminals. And there's nobody who can argue that. Look, I know a lot of people would say, Curtis, you're synonymous with New York. But nobody here at WABC covers New Jersey as much as I do, knows as much as New Jersey as I do, and especially Patterson. The Silk City has become the weed city. And as you know, just last week I announced that the second Ronald Reagan Republican Club that we're opening up right after Astoria, where we're taking on the socialists of AOC, is in Patterson, New Jersey, in the belly of the beast, where corruption is rampant amongst Democrats. They eat their own babies. They corrupt against one another. And they try to completely discount Republicans. And that includes in Passaic County also. But I digress momentarily. So all of a sudden, uh, it was a few weeks ago that I gave props to Patterson Mayor Andre Sayeg. Arab-American mayor, five years. By the way, just so that you should know, a student of my younger sister, Maria, at NYU for a while. She was an adjunct professor. We got along very well. But I don't understand his flip. A month ago, he was vehemently opposing a federal investigation and also throwing the book 
at a cop after a five-hour standoff with a guy named Seabrooks who claimed to be an activist and did intervention in the streets, 31 years old. He obviously had strong emotional issues, locked himself in his bathroom in his own house, was threatening to kill everybody. And after five hours, he busted out of the room, the bathroom. He came at the cops, and the cops shot him, and they killed him. And then everybody is saying, oh, this is wrong. They could have handled it a different way. What they what they should have done is just stood at the door and urged them to come out no matter how long it took. One day, two days, three days, four days, five days. What do they know? And the mayor, Saye did the right thing. He stood by the police department. And then all of a sudden, clearly, the signal came down from half in the bag, smashed as he always is, Murphy, to hey. Saye, if you want a future, a political future, as a Democrat, right, in the state of New Jersey, being the most prominent Arab-American, Christian Arab-American in the Garden State, you better step aside for the Attorney General or we will marginalize you. And unfortunately, Saye folded like a cheap camera. And now the cops are going to have a monitor from the attorney general's office and they're sending in some guy who was involved with the NYPD for like 25 years. I don't even recognize him. Uh, He's a Hispanic, uh, but because the population there is like close to 65 percent Hispanic and growing, uh, they think they can assuage the community. I just predict there's going to be more crime, more crime, more crime in Fetiwap City. A city that at one time was Silk City, well, now it's now Weed City. I mean, there's weed all over the place. And it's interesting because if, let's say, let's presuppose Eric Adams, instead of the swagger man, uh, mayor of the illegal aliens, was not mayor of New York City. In fact, if he were mayor in Patterson, New Jersey, he'd be going into the hood, the heart of the hood, first ward, fourth ward, up the hill, down the hill, and talking like this, talking like this. I would tell you I met a shorty there, but I can't say that on TV. <laughs> now, you see, everybody would understand in Patterson, Fetty Wap City, what he was talking about. Most of you had no idea what he was talking about. Let's just say it's a lady who's got back. And then, naturally, if you walk the streets of Patterson, as I do, what has it become? It's Silk City has become Weed City, and Eric Adams would be saying this in Patterson, as people say it each and every day. Because I smell some weed. Someone is smoking. <laughs> Someone is smoking. <laughs> so the Attorney General of the state of New Jersey is going to come in and flex. And I ask all of you in New Jersey, all of you, I mean, you're like 9 million people. You get little, if any, attention. Half of your state listens to New York news. The other half, Philadelphia news. I know you have your own outlets, but it's not the same. It's a state uh, that has a lack of self-esteem, that has a crooked U.S. Senator, Bobby Menendez, who is the most crooked of the many crooked U.S. Senators up on the Hill in Washington, and that includes Republicans and Democrats. And then you got Cory Booker, who is for sale. Cory Booker, by the way, uh, Justin, have you researched, does he have a boo now, uh, you know, another beard uh, that he can pretend to be with, or what is he, solo again, to get wine dined in parking line? Because that's all Cory Booker is out there. If you're on trial uh, and you happen to uh, have a lot of money available, you can pay for Cory Booker 
the junior U.S. senator of the state of New Jersey to sit in your trial and hold your hand so that the media can see he's down with you. But it's for a price. But I digress. Oh, my God. And then our own mayor, swagger man with no plan, mayor of the illegal aliens. Where was he? Talking to his friends in Albany, right? Carl Hasty, the crooked speaker of the assembly. You know, we lost one who went straight to hell without an asbestos suit. Shelly Silver, a.k.a. Hyman Roth, a.k.a. Meyer Lansky. And he was replaced with another crook up in the Bronx, who yesterday his crew walked out of their negotiations on the budget that supposedly has to be tied up by the weekend. It won't be. And basically bogarted Governor Hochul, who does not have a set. I mean, this is like, it's like Hochul is exposed to kryptonite. She's weaker than weak. Hasty can pull this, and there's no, no consequences whatsoever. I remember the last time that Eric Adams went up there and appealed to his very dear friends, like Carl Hasty, the crook, crooked speaker of our assembly with a supermajority, and cousin Stewart from Yonkers, the majority leader of the supermajority in the state Senate, and he said, oh, you know, these are my friends. Well, they'll listen to me. Uh, again, he appealed to them, and he got nothing. And upon his return, you know what he's going to do? The first time, probably today, that some McWhitey-Whitey reporter from Room 9 at City Hall asked him a question. You had to park your tail between your legs and come back to New York City, and you didn't get anything from your so-called friends in Albany. Remember the last time he came back, and he started firing verbal projectiles at the white reporters at City Hall. This unknown source, I'm a black man, that's the mayor. But my story has been interpreted by people that don't look like me. We got to be honest about that. How many blacks are in the editorial boards? How many blacks are determined how these stories are being written? Eric Adams, you came back with your tail between your legs again. Because you won't name and shame. In honor of the great Bernard McGurk, who's no longer here, our studio, our main studio named it is in honor. As you know, every time I do a program, at the very start of the program, it's a recognition to Bernard McGurk. When he was doing the program, when he was healthy, and when he was very, very sick and soon to die from prostate cancer, he would always say, Eric Adams will never name and shame Alvin Bragg. He will not name and shame Carl Hasty. He will not name and shame Cousin Stewart's. He will never name and shame AOC all out crazy. He speaks in generalities. And when you speak in generalities, nothing ever gets done. And so he comes back again with his tail between his legs. Feckless, weak, incapable of standing up against the people who used to stand there with him and get wine dined in pocket line when on their behalf he would say from the uh, from his bully pulpit in the state senate, show me the money. That's what it's all about, show me the money. Another disgraceful, impotent performance by the feckless and weak, show me the money, mayor of the city of New York, Eric Adams. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Spectacular! Now here's the Sid wrap up. Boy! Remember, Yankee fans, how long it was when George Steinbrenner and his consortium out of Cleveland bought the New York Yankees and saved us from uh, Burke and CBS, who destroyed the Yankees, destroyed them. And then slowly, after being managing partner, came on to be owner and operator, he demanded that during the seventh inning break at Yankee Stadium for every home game, Kate Smith sing God Bless America. And remember, it didn't matter what your politics was. You stood, and with patriotic pride, it was a just the best rendition of God Bless America ever done. And then George Steinbrenner, the boss, died. And in the summer of 2019, the New York Yankees decided no more Kate Smith, no more because apparently, back before World War II, she had sung some songs that were negative towards blacks. Even though in one of those songs, her singing mate was Paul Robeson, the great baritone, black baritone, who ended up himself becoming a member of the American Communist Party. That's a separate story. But he was singing in the same song. You couldn't get any blacker. Then Paul Robeson. So they shafted Kate Smith. And now, where do you hear this rendition? On the boardwalk of the Jersey Shore of Wildwood, New Jersey, every morning. As people were taking their constitution, their jog, their run, their walk. And they raised the American flag. They have maintained the tradition. So... The New York Yankee management of today and his son turned their back on the wishes of the boss to make sure that Kate Smith's rendition of God Bless America always be played at Yankee home games. Remember, Kate Smith sold more American war bonds during World War II than any other performer. But... Let's go to the interview earlier today. President of the New York Yankees was on. Randy Levine with Sid Rosenberg. He has been touting, I have been touting, that out there amongst the monuments, there should be, if nothing more, but a plaque for the great number six, Roy White, who actually had a knish named after him that was sold in Yankee Stadium when the Yanks were down with baseman Bertha because they were owned by CBS that tried to destroy them. I've been making the argument for years that we should find a way to get Roy White into Monument Park. So I'm going to I'm going to promise I promise Roy would bring it up to you. So I'm doing it right now. And whatever you do, you do that's fine, but I I think there should be a place for Roy White somewhere in Yankee lore. Well, let me tell you, Roy White's a good friend of mine, uh, no more decent person. He was a great Yankee, a loyal Yankee, and uh you know, Monument Park is a very, very special place, but uh, 
I will personally take a look at it. Wow. Uh, I know, I know that uh, people have looked at it uh, in the past. Uh, it's no, there are so many great Yankees who weren't in yeah. Monument Park, but True. Roy White has the affection of everybody in this Yankee organization. He's he's a really good man, and he was a very very good player. Okay, I can accept that. And then the biggest schnorrer in radio turned it loose. Um, Sid Rosenberg, I want it. I want it now, and I want it free. We expect I'm giving you an invitation, my friend, right now. Uh, you, your family, you come uh, watch a game with me anytime you'd like. Oh, my God. I'd love to come Thursday. <laughs> Opening yeah. day. you kidding me? I'd love to, uh, to be honest. All right. Well, you, you call me. We'll see what we can oh, do. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Wendy. That's very, very sweet of you. Thank you. What a schnorrer, Sid Rosenberg. Need I remind him that my husband-in-law, Governor David Patterson, who is now the stepfather of my oldest son, Anthony, when he was governor in 2009, it was Yankees versus Phillies in the World Series. And as is the tradition, the governors of both states are invited uh, both when it's in Philly and in New York. And so here was David Patterson in a box, and then it was Ed Rendell. Yeah, Ed Rendell had his box from Pennsylvania. You get free tickets. Well, let me tell you something. Randy Levine dropped a hammer on David Patterson after Andrew Evilized Cuomo, the attorney general, said he's not permitted to do that. And they tainted David Patterson. Now, wouldn't that be ironic if uh, Sid Rosenberg ends up with free tickets and the governor of the state of New York at that time in the World Series, my husband-in-law, David Patterson, got pounced on by Randy Levine and the attorney general at that time, Andrew Evilized Cuomo, who wanted to be governor. And now you know the rest of the story and about the biggest schnorrer in radio, Sid Rosenberg.